So today marks a beginning. Today marks uh, the beginning of, of a new sermon series. And, you know, we don't come to these often at New Hope, do we? Uh, it takes us a while to get to a new sermon series. And, you know, Deuteronomy has a few chapters in it, so we may be here a little while. Uh, I, my thought is at this point um, that we will uh, work through the first four chapters of Deuteronomy before Easter. Okay, so that's my goal. And uh, y'all can test me and see if we get there, uh, but that's my goal. And uh, I've mapped it out uh, somewhat, and uh, I'm, I'm through uh, the first Sunday in March. So, what, I've got about five sermons laid out uh, there so far. And uh, uh, it looks like we may be able to pull that off. But Deuteronomy is a book that I have never preached on before. In fact, Deuteronomy is a book that, that you know... Um, I've read in my devotional life, and I've read, you know, several times, many times, and, and uh, that I'm familiar with, but I've never looked at it in the same kind of uh, detail and, and with the same depth that uh, uh, I have begun to study the book uh, for us this time. I think it's going to be a challenge for David and for me uh, to work through Deuteronomy. In fact, David uh, was a little, you know, hesitant about uh, agreeing to uh, do this with me uh, as we started to talk about this a couple of months ago. The first time I threw it out there, I just threw it out there, you know, just kind of like as a general, you know, just kind of a passing thought, you know, hey, what about Deuteronomy? And, and um, you know, I kind of got this stunned look on David's face, and <clears throat> I thought maybe I'll give him a little time to warm up to that idea. And uh, we talked about it, and, and we were sitting in a staff meeting and talking about future uh, plans and things. And I said, well, I think we ought to do Deuteronomy. I thought David was going to fall into a little puddle of protoplasm on the uh, floor in my office there. And, and he, <laughs> he turned over to Deuteronomy 1, and he started reading. He said, and what are you going to do about, what are you going to preach about with that? I said, oh, don't worry about it. We'll get to it. You know, we'll work it out. So uh, I know it's going to be a challenge, and I am looking forward to it. You know, I am convinced of something, and this is one of the reasons I want to do Deuteronomy. Because I'm convinced that you can see Jesus Christ on every single page of the Scriptures. I know you can do that. And I want you to see Jesus in the book of Deuteronomy. I want you to see how our King Jesus is, is here in this place as we look at this book. And, and, and far beyond anything else, I think if you look at the book of Deuteronomy, I think there's something that you can really be certain of. And that is, is that our God is a God who far and beyond is a God who has made promises to his children and he will keep them. God is faithful. And so this morning, with no further ado, Let's turn to Deuteronomy chapter 1. I want to read uh, the first eight verses of Deuteronomy chapter 1. Uh, I've, I've put uh, this slide in our PowerPoint uh, presentation this morning. I'm not going to refer to it specifically other than now to say you might want to look at that and, and get the general gist of the um, uh, applications uh, that come to us from Deuteronomy uh, just in a general kind of a broad way. This is the inerrant, infallible inspired word of God. And so let us give it our careful attention this morning. These are the words that Moses spoke to all Israel beyond the Jordan in the wilderness 
in the Arabah, opposite Suf, between Paran and Tophel, Laban, uh, Hazaroth, and Dizahab. It is 11 days' journey from Horeb by way of Mount Seir to Kadesh Barnea. In the 40th year, on the first day of the 11th month, Moses spoke to the people of Israel according to all that the Lord had given him in commandment to them after he had defeated Sihon, king of the Amorites, who lived in Heshbon, and Og, the king of Bashan, who lived in Ashtaroth, and in, 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 Dredi, in Dre. Beyond the Jordan in the land of Moab, Moses undertook to explain this law, saying, The Lord our God said to us in Horeb, You have stayed long enough at this mountain. Turn and take your journey and go to the hill country of the Amorites and to all their neighbors in the uh, Arabah and in the hill country and in the lowland and in the Negev and by the seacoast, the land of the Canaanites and Lebanon, as far as the great river, the river Euphrates. See, I have set the land before you. Go in and take possession of the land that the Lord swore to your fathers, to Abraham, to Isaac, and to Jacob, and give to them, or to give to them, and to their offspring after them. We'll stop there this morning. Let me pray. I ask you, O Holy Spirit, to fill our hearts and minds in such a way today that your word speaks to our hearts. That we indeed this day see your gracious hand, your glory in a, in a peculiar way as we consider the ways you have faithfully fulfilled your covenant promises. Father, I pray that over these next weeks that we might really see the gospel, that we would understand what you're teaching us here. Oh, Father, let us profit from your word. We ask by Jesus' name and in his sake. Amen. So I want to talk about um, the book of Deuteronomy, just kind of general terms this morning as we get underway, the gospel in Deuteronomy, and, and uh, just give you a little background to get us started. Um, I know often when um, I was uh, in seminary, we would take a class, say, in the Pentateuch, or we would take classes in the Minor Prophets or or in another, you know, uh, we'd study the Kings or whatever, and the professor would take a day and he would, he would spend that first lecture pretty much just going over the nuts and bolts of, you know, kind of how the book's laid out and the outline and the author and the date and the, you know, situation and all that. And sometimes it would just be dry as dust. You know, it would be like living in the Arabah, in the Negev. It would be like, you know, eating sand. Um, I hope that I won't be that way this morning, okay? Because I think there's fruit here for us. I think there's profit here. Deuteronomy is clearly, I think, one of the most important books in the entire Old Testament. What? It is one of the most important books in the entire Old Testament. I've got some reasons that I think that. The first reason is this. Jesus quoted the book of Deuteronomy more than he quoted any other Old Testament book. Hands down. Jesus quoted from the book of Deuteronomy over and over again. 
Jesus used, secondly, Jesus used the book of Deuteronomy in his own life when he was tempted by Satan. Where did he go? How did he answer Satan's temptation? He went to Deuteronomy. He answered all three of his temptations in the wilderness with quotations from Deuteronomy. You can check me out, Luke chapter 4, where you see the temptation there in the first 13 verses. It, since, since Jesus is the very heart of the gospel, since, since Deuteronomy is so important in Jesus' life, I think it's not hard to, to find the gospel in this book, this last book, roast up here <laughs> are y'all or is everybody else everybody else is cold right <sighs> oh well look at the structure of the book of deuteronomy too maybe you don't know much about the structure of the book of deuteronomy the first four chapters of deuteronomy are basically moses helping the people of israel uh, look back helping them recall uh, what uh, uh, God has done. Uh, it, it's true, the center of the book, the, the, the big section of the book, chapters 5 through chapter 30, uh, are occupied with the laws and, and basically a re, uh, uh, rehash of uh, the, the Ten Commandments, but a, way, a rehash of the Ten Commandments in a way that is much more than just an external uh, application of the law and then starting in chapter 31 through chapter 34 the last section of the book is also a book a part of the book that's surrounded by grace so in the first part you have pictures of God's grace and then you have the how to live life in light of God's grace kind of fleshed out for you with the Ten Commandments. And then in the end, you have the, the same kind of a picture of grace, the, the section where, where God's people, the, the law is the response to the grace of God, where keeping the law is the response, and where living in grace is the, is the response. So here's the way it works. God's grace in the past is the context for the law and the motivation for Israel to keep the law and then in the end of the book, God's grace in the future is the context and the motivation for living it out. The law is segmented between two, piece, two pictures of the grace of God. I think it's really important that you understand that. Moses is talking about the now and the not yet. He's talking about life in this world and life in the world to come. He's talking about the future and the promises of God coming about for God's people. He's showing how gracious God has been to Israel. Look back and remember the days in Egypt and how God has delivered you. Look forward to entering the promised land and all that God is going to do as you enter into this land of milk and honey. That's the picture of Deuteronomy. Live as God's covenant children in the midst of the grace of God in your life. Is there a better message for us as the children of God than that right now? 
You have received the promise of the gospel. You've been born again. You've been changed by the grace of Jesus. You are looking forward to heaven and to eternal life and to all the promises of the new creation. And in the middle of it, live as becomes a follower of the Lord Jesus Christ. Live in response to the grace that you have received and the grace that you anticipate. There's a lesson that I can take home, that I can say to myself, am I living in light of the grace of God that I've received? Am I living in light of the grace that I look forward to when I stand before my Lord? So the gospel is there in, in the book of Deuteronomy in a beautiful way. The gospel's in the central section of the book um, repeatedly how keeping the law uh, is a response to God's grace, not a way to earn God's favor, too. As, as Deuteronomy unfolds those laws, he's not talking about how you earn your salvation. He's talking about how you respond to the goodness that God has given you. All right, so the gospel of grace is there. The law section surrounded by grace. Jesus quotes it. Jesus uses it to answer his temptations, but guess what? The Apostle Paul uses the book of Deuteronomy over and over and over again. Deuteronomy was key in the Apostle's thinking. He saw, Paul saw the gospel in Deuteronomy. Look at Romans. I'm giving you an outline. Go to that next slide, Caleb. Just, just, a, quick, just a quick survey of the book of Romans here real quick. Paul says in Romans 7, he says, the law reveals sin. In Romans 7, what does he say? Oh, the good that I would do, I do not do. And, you know, he's struggling with his sin in his life. In Romans 10, he says, the righteousness is, our righteousness is by faith. He is quoting from Deuteronomy chapter 30. He talks about the fact that we need the circumcision of our hearts for true obedience in Romans 2. He's quoting from Deuteronomy 30 again. In, in keeping the law is the way to love our neighbors. Deuteronomy 5. We shouldn't seek personal revenge. Paul is again quoting Deuteronomy 32. We should expect Gentiles are going to be grafted into the original body of believers to the, to the Jewish people, to God's people. Deuteronomy 32. Paul understood Deuteronomy. He used it. It, it had an impact in his ministry. Beautiful pictures he draws from that beautiful theological applications. So we've got, not only have we got uh, uh, Jesus' use of Deuteronomy, not only do we have um, the uh, uh, use of Deuteronomy by the Apostle Paul, but Jesus saw the gospel in the book of Deuteronomy in a powerful way too. He ex not only quoted extensively from Deuteronomy, he used it in his life. When Jesus reflected theologically, when the scribes and the Pharisees came to Jesus and they were trying to trip him up and they said, uh, Rabbi, which commandment is the most important of all in Mark chapter 12? Jesus responded, uh, including a quote from Deuteronomy. The most important is, hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one, and you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart with all your soul, with all your mind, and with all your strength, Mark um, um, 12.30. The Shema. 
the call to worship that Israel heard when they gathered, the call to worship that Matt used for us this morning. Jesus taught that we love God because of who he is. He's the Lord our God. And that we keep the second great commandment, we love our neighbors ourselves because we love because he loved. There's the bottom line. They bring... All that brings the gospel to bear. You shall love your neighbors yourself. The book of Deuteronomy is a series of speeches. They're speeches that Moses gave to the Israelites shortly before he handed over the leadership of the Israelites. Shortly before he died. But closing chapter, Deuteronomy 34, is a beautiful passage. And whenever you study the book of Joshua, you don't start in Joshua. You need to start in Deuteronomy 34. All of this book, Deuteronomy, is the aged Moses calling God's people together to sit under their, 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 their elder father and to be reminded of the grace of and the mercy of God before they enter in and begin to take the western part of the promised land, before they cross the Jordan River. Old Moses says, these are my final words. These are my parting shots. These are the things that through my years of life and faith and walk with, with my Savior, with my King, with my Redeemer, these are the things that you, O oh Israel, need to hear and need to know. They're speeches that Moses gave so that they would be prepared to conquer Canaan and live faithful lives in their new land. And it's poignant and it's tragic that Moses is not going to be able to carry them into the promised land. And you know the story behind that. Moses can only view what lies ahead of this next generation that hadn't disobeyed the Lord and is able to enter into the promised land. They bring the covenant history of God's people up to date. And here we have in Deuteronomy what is really, I believe, as much as anything, um, I don't want to call it a sermon, but a book of covenant renewal, a book of, of calling God's next generation of followers to be faithful to the covenant promises that he's made. Covenant renewal. All of Israel is standing in Moab on the eastern bank of the Jordan River. And they hear Moses' words. And they read Moses' words. I love the fact that Moses penned this book. It's amazing to me the glory and the wonderful inspiration of the Spirit that you see in the book of Deuteronomy. I, ho I hope it thrills your soul over these next weeks and months as it, as it has mine so far. Well, let me see if I can get Deuteronomy in its place here. And before we get too far past kind of opening thoughts, let me mention a couple of other details that I think um, uh, kind of help you get your arms around the book a little bit as we launch it today. Moses is looking back on everything 
that uh, uh, had happened since the people had left Mount Sinai. Since the Ten Commandments. He, he's, his recollections go back farther than their sojourn in Egypt. Uh, Moses not only sets out the major requirements, but he, he repeatedly urges is Israel, his people, the people of God, to listen to their dying father and to obey the Lord's commandments. I think Moses had learned something in his years. It's wise to hear the Lord. He knows Israel's cycles. He knows how Israel lives. Israel has, has lived in apostasy and then suffered God's punishment and then received God's promise. And over and over again, that cycle of, of what should I call it, that cycle of, of redemption takes place, sin and then judgment. And then restoration, and then sin, and judgment, and restoration. Israel has done this over and over again where God has delivered them. And Moses said, you need to remember who God is and what he has promised. Keep your eyes focused on the King, on the Lord, on our God. Moses, by the way, isn't trying to stimulate uh, Israel to delve into somehow knowing God's secret purposes. You know, he, he's not, he, you know, not to know what God's will is going to be for them in, in the future somehow. He's saying to Israel, obey God's revealed will here and now. Be faithful today to do what God's called you to do today. The encouragements and the warnings are to Moses' own children in so many ways. It ends fittingly, I think, with his death in chapter 34. Secondly, the name of the book, just, just, just for just an extra fun fact. Okay, this is a fun fact for you from the book of Deuteronomy. You know how, how the Israelites named their, their books of the Bible? You know, you know how the Old Testament books were named? Who came up with Deuteronomy? Whose idea was that? <clears throat> Typically, Old Testament books are named by the first two words or first in the first sentence of the book usually the first couple of words they would use that as the name of the book uh, to refer to the book of Deuteronomy so the name of the book maybe you know maybe you don't know that Deuteronomy is actually not doesn't follow that rule the first two words in the book of Moses the fifth book of Moses the first two books in the Hebrew Bible the opening words are El Lehe Ha Devarim. Okay? That's the name of the book. You know what that means, right? How's your Hebrew? Matt, where are you? <coughs> it means these are the words. Deuteronomy. These are the words. Deuteronomy actually doesn't mean these are the words. Deuteronomy actually means second law. Deutero, twice to de, namas, law, second law. That comes from Deuteronomy chapter 17, uh, verse 18. It's kind of a misnomer. So, so originally, this book was called The Words. It was called the second law later on because uh, uh, in Deuteronomy 17, 18, uh, it, it refers to, in that passage, the king having a copy of the law for himself. In other words, he had his own copy of the book. It was the second copy. 
It got named Deuteronomy that way. Nah, there you go. That's, I mean, that's just a fun, I don't know what you do with that, you know, really and truly. Um, how, do you, how do you deal with that? What, you know, the contents here actually show that this is not a second law at all, but, but a renewal of the covenant made on Mount Sinai. Um, and, and it's linked so prominently to God's promises uh, that came to Abraham and to Isaac and to Jacob. You cannot deny it. Israel have come, has come through their years in the wilderness. Okay, they, they've, they've wandered in the wilderness. And um, they are about to enter the land that's been promised to Abraham. The land that was promised in Genesis chapter 12, in Genesis chapter 15, in Genesis chapter uh, 17, over and over again, the promise of God to his people that, and to Abraham in particular in those passages that they would be a people, that they would be, God promised three things to them. He promised Abraham that he would have a, have a, a family that was a, a huge family, a large family, uh, many generations uh, in Genesis 12 too. Uh, he promised them a land and he promised them the that they would be a blessing to many nations. In each case, those three promises are upheld uh, to God's people. Large family, a land, and the, the nation would be a blessing uh, to the people. Uh, God, uh, at the time of Abraham's death, the only promise that had been fulfilled at that point, or was being fulfilled at that point, was the promise of a large family. You remember we looked at Jacob's life, and we looked a little bit at his family as we walked through some of Genesis several uh, years ago. Uh, what a great picture that is of God fulfilling his covenant promises. The other books of the Pentateuch, the other books of the five books of Moses, the, the first five books of your Bible, the other books of the Pentateuch talk about how God fulfills those covenant promises to Abraham. Maybe I'm giving you too much, I don't know. Um, but they reiterate uh, the covenant that God made, um, and uh, there's kind of a constant recalling of the way God has made these promises of a family. And now here we get to the book of Deuteronomy, and God begins to help the Israelites see the fulfillment of the promise of the land. They're on the banks of the Jordan River. They are about to cross into uh, the promised land. And so the aspect of the land, Israel's moving toward the promised land. They're on, their on the border, and they need to renew their alliance to the Lord. And that's where we are. That's where Deuteronomy kind of begins for us. Step back. Let's think about it for a second. God has chosen the nation of Israel in his love. It's not because they're special. They're special because he chose them. It wasn't because there was something he saw in them. He chose them and loved them. And he's protected them and he's carried them. And they've been disobedient and they've failed and they have fallen and they have struggled and stumbled. And he's picked them up and he's delivered them. They've been through the cycles of sin and judgment and then of restoration. One generation is about to die off as we come to this point, and the covenant is about to be renewed after 40 years. 40 years of wilderness wandering, they are right on the brink of entering into Canaan. And so God reaffirms his demands on these children that he has chosen 
and that he loves. God does that with us too, doesn't he? He reminds us of those things. A holy God requires his people to reflect his holiness and to respond in obedience to his love. We don't earn his love by our obedience. We respond to his love by our obedience. Folks, there's a huge difference in those two takes on life. There is the gospel in a nutshell. There's the gospel of grace. But let me tell you something. Disobedience always slows us down. And that's really my next point this morning. Third point in my outline. Disobedience slows us down. And Israel, God's people, are an illustration of that. Look at the map that uh, we're going to flash up for you. Can you see the, the pink kind of washes out here on the uh, screen, but maybe you can trace the dotted line here. Way over there on the far side, over there in Egypt, is where they started. They were delivered by God out of the land of Egypt. You remember they crossed the Red Sea. <clears throat> they went into the wilderness. They began their journey toward the promised land. The people were disobedient at Mount Sinai, and then they wandered for 40 years, basically in that area of the, uh, uh, what we call, what, what do we call that, the Mideast, the Middle Eastern um, continent of Africa. We, in fact, we had a debate about this at the uh, worship uh, uh, team party, whether this was Asia or Africa, um, but anyway, that's a whole other matter. Those who were there will understand that, that we were right. This is Africa. <laughs> so, they wander. Because of their disobedience, because of their sin, God doesn't let the generation that came out with Moses go into the, the uh, land. The general tra tra trail of the um, wilderness wandering is sketched out for you. Actually, that's a precise scale. We got it down perfect. We got every landmark just right, you know. There's no way to know. In fact, the geography has changed. If you look at a modern map today, you might not realize this, um, that uh, the Red Sea has um, silted in, if you will. The desert sands have taken over a lot of uh, this general area here. And so where the Israelites crossed the Red Sea is now uh, sandy, uh, maybe a chain of lakes kind of a situation here, but it's nothing like it was when they crossed because uh, the sands of uh, the deserts have, have filled in there. The Red Sea's shorter than it is, I guess, if you look at it that way on the map. Geography's changed over time and uh, with climate and everything else. The shortest route, by the way, to cross the Sinai Desert is about a, uh, is someone... Uh, uh, I read, said, it can be crossed in uh, six days, rapid journey, okay, on foot. But the same at the start of their exodus, the Israelites were too weak to march straight into the uh, stronger nations of Palestine, and so their course was southward at first and then uh, through the bare plains peninsula, and uh, now we are standing with them on the bank of the Jordan. It took a while. Um, the, the Red Sea used to be connected to the, sea of the Mediterranean Sea, the Great Sea. 
Um, what else was I going to point out to you? Um, those first three verses of Deuteronomy give some introductory historical geographical notes here. Verse 1 says um, that the words of the book were spoken by Moses beyond the Jordan, in the wilderness, in the Arabah, opposite Suf. Okay, the Arabah was a rift valley. It was a, it was a, uh, a valley that was cut uh, running from the Sea of Galilee to the north, or in the north, all the way to the Gulf of uh, Aqaba. Um, I don't know how to explain that any better. Uh, verse 5, historical context, beyond the Jordan, in the land of Moab, Moses undertook to explain this law. Um, the people are in the northern part of the desert area, and they are standing there ready to cross the Dead Sea, or the River Jordan above the Dead Sea. There's a note in your scriptures about 11 days. Uh, verse 2 makes this kind of strange observation. It is 11 days' journey from Horeb uh, by the way of Mount Seir to Kadesh Barnea. So what the, here, I got this thing out to use this this morning. So what the scriptures are saying is Horeb, you see that down there? That's Horeb. I don't know if you can read that on your thing down here. It's 11 days from here to here, Kadesh, okay? Took them 38 days, or 38 years, basically, to get there. Wilderness wanderings. Amazing. Um, verse 3 even uh, gives the time. Uh, in the 40th year, on the first day of the 11th month. Uh, that's the only time specification uh, in the book. 40 years from when they left Egypt to the point that they're standing right up there, ready to cross into the promised land. They're standing, they're standing right on the banks of the Jordan, and Moses is able to address them from that point. Um, I, there seems to be a reason for mentioning that 11-day journey, isn't there? It's the price of disobedience. Thirty-eight-year wandering, punishment for the stubborn disobedience of God's people. Because of their disobedience, Israel was going to experience long, bitter years in the wilderness, and only at the end are they finally on the borders of Canaan. Deuteronomy repeats that idea many, many times. Disobedience never pays. God will forgive us when we repent, but the consequences of sin just make it sheer folly to disobey. Disobedience slows our progress. Verse 3 of the text there, Moses spoke to the people of Israel according to all that the Lord had given him in commandments to them. The book is God's words. He's under the Holy Spirit's inspiration. God's words to Israel through Moses, the prophet, if you will. The places, the people, the experiences that are all mentioned here in this book of Deuteronomy are real. These are real people living in a real world, feeling the real pain that you and I feel, and feeling the sting of living in a world that is fallen, that is full of people whose hearts have depravity in them. 
the covenant is a relationship between God and his people. And these covenant promises that Moses is repeating to them are to be remembered and that next generation is to be faithful to those covenant promises. I will be your God and you shall be my people. Well, look at uh, your text there for just a second. If you look at at, uh, verse 7 in your text, well, at the end of verse 6, the Lord God said to us at Horeb, you stayed long enough at this mountain, and then verse 7, turn and take your journey and go to the hill country of the Amorites and to all their neighbors, and he goes on from there. That word turn in the Hebrew is used 16 times in the book of Deuteronomy. Actually, the word here means to break camp. NIV, I think, translates it better than others do. It means it's time to, it's time to pack up. It's time to move. It, the word here carries the kind of connotation that um, uh, the decision has been made. It's time to, to leave behind and set your face toward a new destination. It's like a New Year's resolution on steroids. Okay? God's people have been in the wilderness long enough, and it's time for a new beginning. I want to suggest to you this morning that we're convinced as a session, that we're convinced as pastors, as as leadership of New Hope Presbyterian Church, that we're at one of those points in the life of this body, that we're at a point of embarking on a new trajectory. Not, not, not that the purposes have changed in any way, but we are called of God to daughter churches in this, con- in this community, in this part of Lake County. We believe that this is what God is calling us to, and that like Israel, we are at that point of packing the tents, of, of folding the tents, of breaking camp, and of moving into the next phase that God has called us to. We sincerely believe that that is where we are. You know, hadn't you learned often in life that you have to make decisions to move away from where you are and travel in another direction? Sometimes that's hard. Sometimes it's hard to leave behind what we know and what we're comfortable with and and to decisively move forward, to, to break camp in a real way. I think in that process, we need to be sensitive to God and and that we would sense his mind and his heart and his will as we move forward. But I believe we're at that point as a body of believers. Sometimes, so often, God gives us that sense when the time is ripe to take action. I will say to you as your pastor that for the last several years, we felt like we were right on the cusp, right on the, right on the verge, right on the edge of God's action. And we've been waiting and praying We've been seeking the Lord, maybe not perfectly, but we've been doing that. I think now's the time. I really honestly believe that. That's the, gosh, I'm not a feelings kind of person typically, but that's the way I have felt and that I feel God is leading us. It's exciting. It's scary. We're just like Israel on the east side of the Jordan River we see what lies ahead of us and we see that it's God's promise to us and that it's something that we need to inherit but we're going to have to go in and we're going to have to conquer it 
It's going to take some blood, some sweat, and some tears. It's going to take some work. It's going to take some serious commitment. It's going to take all of us working together for the glory of the king and the kingdom. And we need to remember the covenant promises that God has made us. That he's going to make us into a nation that's a great nation. He's going to make us into a family that is huge and broad and wide and that he is going to give us the possession of our internal, eternal inheritance. I really believe that very much like Israel, New Hope is at that place where it's time to move forward. And sometimes when we know we need to do something, we delay. Sometimes we wait, we hesitate, we hold back. One of the hardest things you do, when I do, when I start to write a sermon, is to actually write the first few paragraphs. Don't you have a hard time starting things sometimes? You know, I'll write that first. Sometimes I'll write my introduction, and then I'm just stuck. And I'll get up, and I'll go get a cup of coffee. And I'll go clean up my desk, or I'll go do something. I'll go visit somebody. I'll go do something, you know. And then I come back, and I sit back down, and I have to... Go back from the beginning and start again. Remind myself. Sometimes starting is really hard for us. We're at the point where we're ready to go. Where we have started. Where we are about to cross the Jordan River. Don't use delay tactics. The, the founder of, uh, uh, the, of Operation Mobilization, uh, uh, George Verwer, he uh, is credited with having said this. He said, some people say they're waiting for a call. What they need is not a call. That they have already received. What they need is a kick in the pants. <laughs> okay. I got it. So our passage gets the speech, speeches of Moses off to a very positive start. The future is as bright as the promise of God. How sad for those who first heard the words of verses 6 to 8 in their original context didn't get to see those promises fulfilled in their lifetime. But in their children, those promises were fulfilled. Their, promise, their children got to see those promises answered because they believed, because they heeded God's command to obey. They conquered the opposition that would lie ahead of them. They occupied the land that God was giving. Those who struggle with the challenge of obedience, sometimes discouraged by the behavior of their spiritual ancestors, others who have gone before, don't need to give up. The promises of God come over and over to them. God's promises are like oaths that he makes, and they are sure. I think Paul put it this way. He who calls you is faithful. He will surely do it. There's a lot in those few words. He who calls you is faithful. He will surely do it. That's where Israel is. We're going to leave them standing on the bank of the river. We'll get them across in a little while. Let's pray.